John chapter 4. Let's begin in verse number 3. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. We'll get into this message, the international compassion of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless now as I preach, certainly not because I'm speaking, Father, but because your word is being preached. I pray that you would speak to each and every person who's here today. Lord, help us to see something. Help us, Lord, to grow as a result of this truth. Lord, I pray that our vision for the world would expand. But Lord, help us also just to see you. Help us to study you. Help us to see your heart today. Father, once again, if someone is listening and they have not yet trusted you as their Savior, I pray that they would see their need, that they would see you and how you died on the cross to meet that need for their salvation. Lord, I pray that our church would grow in this grace of international compassion. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's very interesting when we see verse number Four, John chapter 4 and verse 4, where it says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, we know from reading this passage, and we know from reading historical literature during this time, the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. Uh, they were very racist one toward another. Uh, and we can even see this by explanation In verse number nine, when the woman responds to Jesus's question for when he asked for a drink, she responds by saying, how is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? And then by explanation, the explanation for that statement is for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans like they wouldn't even really talk to each other. They wouldn't deal with one another. And when someone was traveling, it says in verse number three, when he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, this was two different sections of the country. And the fastest way was to go through Samaria, but 
oftentimes Jews would travel a very long way. They would take the long way around in order to avoid even walking through their territory. It wasn't just a neighborhood that they were trying to avoid per se. It was as if you were trying to get to New Brunswick and you would completely avoid Quebec, which would be almost like impossible unless you're flying, right? Um, Or perhaps like going down through the U.S., crossing the border and coming up the long way. The long way. And this was commonly accepted practice during those times. It was very, very common for Jews not to have dealings with the Samaritans and for Samaritans not to have dealings with Jews. They would say things like, we don't talk to those people. We don't deal with those people. And this was accepted. This was a part of the culture. Now, we've got to understand when we read the Bible, it records with accuracy what is happening. But it doesn't mean that it is endorsing that. God is not saying in this passage, there should be people you deal with and other people that you don't based on their background or their race or their ethnicity. Of course not. Now, how do we know that? Because in one place, now we're going to look at many other places throughout the study, and this will carry on for several weeks. And so this is just one example of, 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 of this particular truth. But God does not look at the world primarily through ethnicity or race. God primarily looks at those who are either forgiven or unforgiven. Those who have believed on Christ and those who have not believed on Christ. And God's heart is the same for both. He looks on everyone through the heart of compassion and love. Now, Jesus was making a statement here, guys. Aren't you thankful that God makes statements in your life? Is this a little bit loud? I feel like I'm being a little loud. Try not to blow. I want you to hear, but I don't want to blow out your eardrums. Are we good? Okay. Aren't you glad when Jesus makes statements and he says, hey, let me, let me show you the right way to, to deal with this here. Now, Notice in the previous chapter, we're going to go back to another famous story. We're going to kind of look at both of these for today. And, and we're just going to look at John 3 just enough to kind of get kind of a sense of what's going on in John 3 right before John 4. So these are chronological. We know that Jesus met with this, with this rich religious ruler at night, right? Jewish leader before he's going into Samaria and meeting this poor outcast woman at the well, right? So Jesus did not just come for, 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 for those who are religious or non-religious, right? He didn't come for one or the other. Uh, we can see with these particular stories, so many categories, and we're going to see that here in just a moment. So go over to John chapter three, if you would, please. And we're going to see, first, we're going to look a little bit at, at this guy, Nicodemus. We're going to kind of get a sense of Jesus talking to him. All right. And then we're going to jump back over to John chapter four. And it's very important for us to see here the international compassion of Christ, the international compassion of Christ. This is consistent throughout the Bible. This is consistent throughout Jesus's ministry. This is consistent throughout the New Testament. It's consistent all the way until even in the book of Revelation, where it, it says with triumph that out of every nation, kindred and tongue, right? Right. 
Uh, Jesus doesn't, even languages that are extinct. I mean, it's, it's almost like Jesus is like, ha ha, victory. Yes, everybody. I came to reach everybody, right? So, but here we have two stories. So John three, and look at verse number one. There was a man of the Pharisees. Ah, there's man. What is John chapter four about? A woman. And we see a man of the Pharisees, right? Extremely religious. Guys, these people are so religious. It, it was crushing. It was crushing for you to look at all of the religious rules that they followed. Overwhelming the standard that was necessary to be a part of this group. First of all, you could, be, you could only be a man. Jesus is not interested in that. Aren't you thankful? Amen. Amen. Where would the church of God be without ladies? Amen. Right? Pharisees were so strict and so religious. It took a long time for them to be even considered to gain entrance into this group. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. Now, privilege. Man, by the way, at this particular time, very much a a male-driven society in the sense of even where women were treated with less, much less respect. They were considered not to be trustworthy, right? You study the culture and, 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 and the history of that time, okay? And before we... It's again, the more you dig into it, it's so interesting because when Jesus rose from the dead, who were the first ones that knew about it? A group of women, group of ladies. Do you see how Jesus is not afraid to break cultural norms? He is, hey, he is not afraid to get the gospel out and break cultural norms. He will do anything to save somebody. It's still their choice, but he will do anything to save somebody. Yeah, he entrusted the message of the resurrection primarily to ladies. And then they went to the men, they went to the disciples. By the way, that's one of the ways that we know that scripture in, in, in the kind of the, not, not in the faith side, but more of the reasoning side that it's an accurate portrayal or an accurate record that it's not made up. Because if a Jew, a Jewish man would have made up the account of the resurrection, they would not have put in there that Jesus first told it to ladies. They would have been like, no, he gave it to the men. He gave it to the top guys. He told Peter first. No, Peter Peter had just committed a shameful act. He'd cussed Jesus and ran out and he was way out fish. He was way away. But listen, he was there and there were some ladies and they were waiting for him and they were ready. Hey, don't think that Jesus doesn't love ladies the same as he loves men or that men men the same as ladies. He is interested. His compassion is for both men. It's for ladies. It's for those who are religious. It is for non-religious. It is for those who are in the in crowd, a Pharisee. This guy was in the most elite club, if you want to call it that, in this this society, the most elite club. 
He was a man. That wasn't his choice. He was born that way, right? Next, we can see that he made it to be a Pharisee, elite. Now listen, uh, we as Christians must not have the attitude that God doesn't care about those who are rich. Sometimes it's easy to kind of get this attitude and this swagger. Like, oh, they're rich people. Privileged people. Oh, so that means it's okay for us to mistreat them. For us not to have compassion on them. No, of course not. Jesus loves anybody at any economic status. Aren't you thankful? And may I need remind us, and many of us have intimate knowledge of this, that all of us here in the GTA would be considered quite wealthy by the standard of the rest of the world. Isn't that true? Oh yeah, for sure. You guys have got to understand, I'm always fixing this cord and it slides in and out and my little clips broke. So I feel like Woody on Toy Story where I'm constantly having my, my string pulled, right? So it's okay, I'll deal with it. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This guy's in a, a pretty elite club. He's super religious, extremely religious with, his, with the rules that he has. He's a ruler. That, listen, it's easy to have an attitude towards our rulers, isn't it? It is. I mean, the news does a good job at that. They tell you what decision they made, and then they also throw them right under the bus if they don't agree. You say, well, I'm of this party, that party, this party, that party. I'm of this, I'm of that, I'm this, I'm of that. Yeah, even among the disciples, the apostles, the disciples, the original 12, you've got Simon the Zealot. He was zealous for the Jewish nation, trying to overthrow the Roman government. He was a rebel. Not a rebel news. I mean, he was, he was a rebel. Like, you know, armed rebellion type of a guy. And you've got, on the other side, you've got Matthew the what? Matthew the tax collector. Now, this guy, in many people's eyes, was considered a traitor to the Jewish nation. Hmm? And Jesus is like, yep, I'm gonna, I'll take you and I'll take you. Isn't that cool? Can I just say this? Is that as we're preaching this, that means that God loves you. God is interested in you serving him. That means you can serve him. You can love him. Do not ever think that somehow you are excluded from his compassion. He had time for all. He was willing to have a conversation with someone who was religious, educated, elite, privileged. And he had time in John chapter four for the outcast, for the uneducated, for the one who tried and tried and tried in life. And it just seemed like she made her life worse and worse and worse and worse. He has time. And aren't you thankful? Oh, aren't you thankful? He knows how to talk to both of them. He knows how to communicate to both of them. 
He knows how to communicate to those who are very educated, extremely intelligent. Oh, Christianity is only for those who are uneducated. Now, that's not true. You go talk to Jesus and and you let me know whether or not he is educated far beyond your capacity to reason and answer the questions that you may have. Just because you may talk to another Christian who may not necessarily know the answers doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't know the answers. Jesus knows the answers. He knows the answers. There is nobody that is so educated that Jesus cannot answer your questions to your satisfaction so that you see the truth of who he is and of his compassion and what he came to do. And then it will be your choice whether or not you trust in him as your savior. Give him your heart and follow him with your life. But do not think that it is only for the simpleton, for the uneducated, for the outcast, for those who are going financial problems or those who just, you know, well, you know, they're from, they're from that particular background or they, they you know, they're maybe they're, they, they immigrated. So they don't really know. They haven't really come through all the school systems and they don't they haven't been to university. No, 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 don't, no, 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 don't, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Jesus created intelligence. All these scientists think they're so smart because they discover something. It's like a little kid opening up a gift and then is convinced that he's the one that created the gift when he opened it. There's something in the box. Who put it in the box? Somebody had to put it in the box. Well, we're continuing to discover things and so that proves there's no God. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. To discover means it was already there to begin with. Who put it there to discover? Well, you don't understand. Probably not. But I understand this. God created all. God is more intelligent than any of us. And he can speak to any of us if we're willing to come to him with our skepticism and come to him in our, with our questions. You, you notice in, the, in these passages, and it says here in verse number two, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know. Uh, look at this guy, educated. He's, he's coming to Jesus with what, with what he does understand. Now, Jesus doesn't rebuke him for that. But he's like, we know, we know this. We, we know thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It is not through intellect. It is not through education. Thankfully, some people simply don't have access. In, a particular, in this particular society, uh, ladies were excluded. You know, there's still many countries today where girls, ladies, women are excluded from education because they, in that culture, it's considered to be a waste. They only educate the men because they're the ones that are going to work. And he comes and he's like, we know. He's like, let me tell you something, friend. You do not see the kingdom of God. You do not see the, the spiritual truths of life. You do not come to salvation. You do not come to forgiveness. You do not come to spiritual depth and real truth. The transcendent things that we're all striving for. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You don't come to that through education. You come to that by being born again. Now, what was this guy trusting in? He was trusting in his first birth. 
He was a Jewish man and he thought that he was going to be okay with God. Through his good works, he'd achieved the status of religious status of Pharisee. But also he was a child of Abraham. He thought, I'm good. Nobody is good because of their status. I was baptized as a baby. I'm good. Oh, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again. And Jesus knew how to talk to this man and he knew how to explain these truths. Verse seven, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Now here's an extremely educated, privileged person with genuine questions and Jesus is talking to him and dropping such knowledge bombs that this guy is, he's just, he can't, he, he's, he's like, marvel not. He's like, don't be amazed. Jesus has the ability to amaze us with the truth of exactly where we're sitting and exactly what we need to know. Verse nine, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master of Israel? Speaking to his many qualifications, religious qualifications, education, educational qualifications, and also the fact that he's a, that he's a ruler. I mean, all of these things, he's a master of Israel. And you don't know this stuff? Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen it. You receive not our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You've got all this education, Nicodemus. Okay, but you've got to believe the witness. Can I say this? Pursue education. Pursue intelligence. But that alone is not going to answer the life's deepest questions. You have to believe the witness. What's the witness? Jesus is the witness. The word of God is the witness. It can't be that simple. You know why? Listen, you know why it's that simple? To humble the prideful. And to and, and, and when you look at this lady over here in, in John chapter 4, don't worry, we're coming back to her in just a second. For those who have been humbled by life and by their bad choices, it's accessible to them as well. That is the compassion of Christ. Where for our own good, those of us who are intelligent and we are privileged by the world's standards, regardless of, 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 of ethnicity, he comes to each and every one of us and he says... This knowledge is accessible to you, but it's not up here. It's more down here. And for our own good, he humbles us down here. And he says, you've got to believe the witness, the witness of the Holy Spirit, the the truth of the witness of the word of God, the truth of the witness of Jesus Christ is for your own good. Believe the witness. It's accessible, international compassion. And also for those who life have been humbled through their bad choices, through their own culture that they've grown up in even through an oppressing people on the outside, we can see the difference between Jews and Samaritans. In every way, this woman in John chapter four was oppressed. But in both cases, what's the solution? Believe the witness. Are you believing the witness? Are you believing the witness? You say, brother, I know I'm saved. Okay, believe the witness. 
Don't get so smart. Don't get so privileged. Don't depend on our money. Don't depend on our on, on the advancements that we've made to the point where now we're starting to believe like the world where, oh, we're technological now, so we don't really need God. We don't really need faith. Really? I heard somebody mention this, and I haven't verified this, so take this with a grain of salt. These kids that are trying to be YouTubers. Now, go be a YouTuber. I don't care. When your entire life, is your self-worth is wrapped up in the comments and likes to the point where some of these kids are committing suicide. Deep depression, anxiety. Oh yeah, technology solved everything. We don't need God anymore. That's not true at all. We need him now more than we've ever needed him. Verse 12, if I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. Now, he gives a religious reference here that this guy's going to understand. He doesn't use the same tactic, the same method of teaching with the lady in John 4. Because she, it doesn't connect with her. Aren't you thankful he knows how to connect to us? He knows how to connect to us. Well, my background's different. Good. He knows how to connect with you and help you understand the truth. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Now, if you know that Bible story, that makes sense to you. But for those of us who may not be familiar with that Bible story, it's like, ah, I'm not really sure. Okay. The Bible story is that there was a plague in the Old Testament under Moses for their disobedience. People were getting sick. They were, they were dying off. And God commanded Moses to make a serpent out of brass and lift it up on a pole. And the command was, if you get the plague or the sickness and you look to the serpent that's lifted up on the pole, you'll be healed instantly of your plague. Okay? Now, that's an Old Testament story for Old Testament time. But the reason why, it's in, the reason why it happened and the reason why it's a Bible story is to point to Christ. When we look to Jesus in faith, he saves us from the plague of sin. Okay? And, and you think, well, I don't really get that. The important thing to know without digging into all the details is that this guy understood it. The Pharisee. He knew this story inside and out. He knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. And he got it. If you're confused about something, about a spiritual truth, if you have a question, if you have a need, Jesus knows how to connect with you, with your background, and he knows exactly how to do that because his compassion is not reserved for just one type of person. Man, that's good. Man, I love that. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world He's talking to Nicodemus. He's not saying, for God so loved the highly religious Jewish men. Didn't say that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. Jesus is the light. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The fact of the matter is, is that if you take the, the, the message of Christ seriously, it will change your life. It will turn you from darkness to light. It will turn you from trusting in your religion to trusting in Christ. It will turn you from trusting in the goodness of whatever things you've done in your background, either implied because of your background, like this guy was a man, or achieved as in he was a Pharisee. It will change all of that trust. And it will now trust in Christ and his goodness and what he has achieved on the cross and the gifts that he can give. It will change that. And some people recognize that. And the thing is, is that there are certain things that we can achieve in life, that we have certain things in life. And some people, excuse me, will not allow themselves to be humbled. They'll not allow themselves to be humbled. And they say, I'm going to choose the darkness. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Because there's a certain degree of admiration that comes for, for, for this Jewish man being a Pharisee and being a ruler. People look at him with admiration. <clears throat> he's, got, <clears throat> he's got money. He's got status. He's got power. <clears throat> now, how do we know that? Because he's coming to Jesus at night. He don't want anybody to see it. Let me ask you something. If you were to take Christ seriously, are you afraid that somebody would see you? You say, well, yeah. Let me tell you something. Jesus is okay with that fear. He's willing to answer your questions. I think there's a lot of people in Toronto that are like that. They have questions, but they're scared that their friends are going to find out that they're actually investigating Christianity. That's okay. And you know what? The mask really doesn't doesn't do a whole lot to cover, like, you know. Hey, what'd you do Sunday? you're doing what you bought a bible why is that why is that bible app on your phone what do you do what are you investigating that for nicodemus why are you coming to jesus at night because i've got questions i've got deep questions that my background cannot provide answers for that my religion cannot provide answers for that my privilege cannot provide answers for, that my money cannot provide answers for, that me being a man in a male-driven society cannot provide answers for. There is a deep need, there is a deep hunger that only Jesus and his truth can really satiate. And he can do that. Now let's jump over to John 4, and we won't belabor this, but we can see where Jesus is interested And not only the religious and privileged, but also in those that are kind of outcasts. Outcasts. It says in verse six, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Okay, now the Jewish uh, clock, if you want to think of it that way, started at 6 a.m. So six hours later would be 12 noon. 
Now, how many have ever had to draw water from a well before? Miss Yodi. How many of you have ever had to pump water from a well? Miss Yodi. There you go. Right? Now, Miss Yodi, when do you normally go and get water? When you have to get water from a well, when do you normally go? In the morning. First thing in the morning, that's when you need water for the day. Then oftentimes in the evening as well. Okay? And that's just common sense. Cultures all over the world, throughout all of time, that's generally when people go to the well. Why was this lady coming at noon? Why was she coming by herself? I remember when we lived in Nepal, man, and there were people that didn't have running water in their, in their house, lots of people. And there would be a community fountain, and in some cases, a community well. I mean, it was a big social thing. You rarely ever just saw one person. There's a bunch of, there was a bunch of ladies, men too. They'd bring their jugs, right? They'd fill them up. They'd chat, right? They've always got time for a chat. Chatting away, you know, sharing news, what's going on. Sometimes they bring their laundry and they'd like scrub them with the soap right there at the fountain, right there early in the morning. And then they'd stomp on their, stomp on their, <laughs> stomp on their laundry. Yeah. Old school, right? Absolutely. This lady's like, I'm not going to show up then. That's when everybody's there. Guys, that is not normal in this kind of a society. This is a very relational society. They were always connected. They were always with people. To be alone in a relational society meant something bad had happened. Something's wrong with you. For, for a relation, you would, how, many, how many cultural rules must she, she have broken for her to be cast out and by herself in a society when everybody sticks together? Now we find out later in the story when she trusted Christ, she runs back to the village and she says, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Now they, they knew exactly who she was. They came out to see Jesus. They came and listened. So it wasn't that she didn't know anybody. It wasn't that she was a new person. She was an outcast. And the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. He went there on purpose to talk to an outcast. He didn't just come and have time for the rich and the privileged. He's got those, listen, guys, listen, he's got time for those who are racially outcast. He's got time for those where his people group had mistreated these people and these people had mistreated them. He didn't carry a grudge. We see and hear the personification of compassion and love and grace. What a God. What a savior. He didn't just tell us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't just say, for God so loved the world. No, no, no. He says, okay, chapter three. Yeah, fine. Good. Let me show you what I'm talking about in chapter four. By the fact of him talking to this woman would have smudged his reputation as a Jewish man, humanly speaking. Jesus loves everybody. He will go to the very depths of society, to the very depths of the outcast, to the people where they say, there is no hope for you. And they show that by not even being willing to be around you. 
outcasts. Those whose lives are primarily identified with shame and failure. And he sat down and waited for her. Can I say that if anything that I'm saying here somehow resonates with you in any way at all, Jesus is waiting for you. And who among us doesn't have some things in our past that we regret? Who among us, regardless of the exterior, regardless, and Toronto is such a great place. I mean, most, you can just walk around and, and for the most part, everybody can be who they are. And it's, and it maybe some people occasionally say something and, but for the most part, it's like, you're, you're here in an international city, but inside there's parts of every one of us that can identify with this Samaritan woman. Jesus is like, I came for you. I came specifically for you. And he comes into our life to the places that we we frequent. Doesn't he? And he sits at the well. And he asks us a question that causes us to think deeply. Why is this happening? Why am I thinking about God when I don't want to think about God? Why am I talking to God when I don't even believe in God? Dozens of stories of atheists and skeptics. Dozens, hundreds. C.S. Lewis is one of the most famous. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and all those movies. He read, wrote many books about his journey from skepticism, from atheism, skepticism, to now becoming a very, very strong believer. He knows how to find you. He know, Hey, he knows how to help you. <laughs> Jesus is not afraid of questions. He's not afraid of your questions. Some of us have served the Lord for years and we still feel like this sometimes. Serving the Lord can sometimes make you feel like What's happening? Isn't it interesting to see in this story with the disciples? They just passed this lady right by, went into town to buy some food. He knows how to give you what you need. He knows how to speak to your heart. We have to be willing to listen to him. We have to be willing to have the conversation. We have to be willing to not exclude ourselves in some way from thinking he came for them, but he didn't come for me. He can help them. He can help the rich guys who know the Bible, but he can't help me. Jesus is like, no, that's not true. I must needs go through Samaria. I can and I will help you if you're willing to listen. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to let him help you? Are you willing to listen to his reasons? He has a conversation with her. We don't have time to go through all the details. 
She starts bringing up the topic of religion because even the most broken people have some, they have some beliefs. Well, what about, what about Jacob's well? Are you greater than our forefathers? Yes, <laughs> Jesus is. Now we see the humanity here of Christ because he's thirsty. Then we also see the divinity of Christ in the fact that he is God in the flesh. In the fact later when we can see In verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. Only Jesus can satisfy that deepest need and those failures that this lady had. He proves his divinity here. He teaches her that he is the Messiah, that he had come to help her. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.